Welcome to the Her Influence Podcast. It's Kathy Ostapchuk. I will be your host today. And I'm pretty excited that my guest today is none other than the amazing Danielle Strickland. And she is back in Canada, back in Toronto, but her uh, presence is here, but her impact and her reach is global. So I'm so excited that she's back on Canadian soil. And I love to track with her um, around the world when she speaks, teaches, and influences. So Part of her bio that's on her website says that her aggressive compassion has served people firsthand in countries all over the world, from establishing justice departments for the Salvation Army to launching global anti-trafficking initiatives to creating new movements to mobilize people towards transformational living. She trains, advocates, and inspires people to live differently. So in other words, this girl is on the move. She's written five books, and I know that she is almost finished writing her next book, and it's going to be released soon, and perhaps she'll chat about it. And she also has her own podcast, the DJ Strickland Podcast. She is co-founder of Infinitum, Amplify Peace, Brave Global, and Women's Speakers Collective. Danielle is a mom of three, wife to Stephen, and she's been affectionately called the ambassador of fun. And all I know about her personally, all I really want to say is that she's the real deal. She's authentic. She lives what she speaks. And she has an idea and she doesn't wait too long before it turns into action. So she's savvy, she's sassy, and I know that you're going to get a lot out of every word that comes out of her mouth today. It's so interesting because today's podcast is really called So You Want to Be a Leader. And so many of us may want to be a leader, but there are some myths that we need to bust before we actually step into that. And so we discount ourselves. And you'll hear Danielle say that she's perpetually underqualified, but overgifted by grace. And so looking forward to have you join us as we have this conversation, Danielle and I. And uh, look forward to hearing your feedback after. Have a good listen. Welcome to the Her Influence Podcast, calling women to rise in purpose and influence in your world with real voices, bold words, and whole hearts. The Her Influence Podcast is created on behalf of Gather Women by women in Canada, for women everywhere, to rise in their leadership influence wherever they are planted. A special thanks to our sponsor, Mercy Canada, restoring hope, transforming lives, and now, here are your hosts, Kathy Ostapchuk, Vanessa Hoyes, and Caitlin Say. Well, hi, everyone. It's Kathy Ostapchuk, one of the co-hosts of Her Influence Podcast. Really great to be with you today. And we have a real uh, treat today in our conversation with Danielle Strickland, who I've already told you about a few minutes ago. But Danielle is just one of these women who creates things, launches things, and is one of the most, actually, I think, the most catalytic woman of influence that I know. And Danielle, I think the one I want, thing I want to say to you is if I could be like you when I grew up, I would love to, because <laughs> yeah. I just see you moving into action all the time, but yet I know you come from a very, very deep place of grounding, and spiritually, you've got practices that probably are the catalyst to you being able to move out. So I just want to say thank you for being with us today. Oh, thanks for having me, Kathy. It's a great honor. Yes. Well, all of the things that you've done in your life, um, we've talked about your background in the intro. 
I'm just wondering, does any of it surprise you? Like showing up here today in your life, does, is any of it a surprise? Yeah, it's all a shock. Um, and actually, I perpetually find myself in situations where I'm wondering if I'm making it up. Uh, it's so outrageous. I actually have this idea that God is up in heaven, sort of calling a few angels over, going like, "Look at this. This is going to be funny." You know. <laughs> so I feel like I'm in some sort of like not a uh, like a, a nice cosmic uh, joke in some ways. Um, yeah, so I just I feel really uh, over underqualified and kind of over gifted for for uh, grace uh, to be able to be involved in some of the things I get to do. It's amazing. I'm wow. perpetually in wonder, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I love that perpetually in wonder. So, what are the biggest surprises between perhaps the path that you were thought that you would go down compared to the path that you're now on? Well, I think for one thing, uh, I was a juvenile delinquent drug addict. So (laughs) the path I was on was headed uh, in a fast and furious pace towards death. Um, And so I was really taken surprised by Jesus and then um, really just thought I would do the best I could. Like I thought I was already just by surviving in some respects and moving out of that trajectory into another trajectory, I thought uh, I had arrived in, in some regards. I talk about this a fair bit when it comes to salvation. Like I feel like we often think about this invitation Jesus gives to us as an arrival place. And what I've discovered instead is that the invitation Jesus gives us is a beginning place. And so that's, I guess, my biggest surprise is that there's more like it and there's more and then there's more and then there's more. And then I just, I keep getting surprised that there's more, even though I don't know why I'm surprised now because there's more, you know, and not necessarily more wider, uh, but also more deeper. Uh, There's more layers of freedom. There's more, you know, invitation to explore how you work and how you're made and uh, what you need. And uh, there's more in terms of relationships um, and more in terms of ministry and, and impact. So that's probably my biggest surprise in general. It's just the more of God, like who, who can even imagine what God has planned? Not me. That is for certain. <laughs> right. And, and I love that word surprise. And I've also it's heard you use the word curious. curious a lot. You're just curious about it all. And when I think about two types of women, perhaps women that are the most likely to succeed, most likely to believe that they have the most influence. And then there are the women who are the least likely those of us that are the Rahabs, you know, like, don't pick me. <laughs> I'm, I'm the worst person for the job. And you probably would put yourself in the category of the least likely is what I'm hearing. Yeah, absolutely. So, mm-hmm. so what, if, if that is a myth that I think I'm going to do well, so I will, um, versus I think I won't do well, I have no chance of ever being somebody other than I am, what are, starting with that premise, what are some of the myths that we need to um, perhaps start busting and challenging? I think for me, um, I think the biggest myth in all of that is that it has much to do with you. (laughs) You know, I I just think, um, you know, that beautiful description of humility of not thinking less of yourself, but just thinking of yourself less, um, that, you know, it's not even in spite of who I am that God uses it. It is because of who I am. I mean, he delights in using things to confound really smart people. (laughs) 
And uh, this is a scriptural truth that God just wants to use us for who we are. And if we're willing to kind of get out of the way, and I think for the most part, no matter where you are on the continuum of what I would call humility. So on one end, it's like a deep insecurity. And on the other end, it's just like kind of arrogant, I can do anything. And somewhere right in the middle is this true humility where you just come into agreement with God about who you are. And for me, the struggle remains to just come into agreement with God about who I am. And the things that he says about me, you know, are, are usually relationship-based things, not functional things, but I am um, made in his image. I am, I'm loved. I belong. I'm enough. Um, and, and those, I, you know, I'm, I'm held. I'm not alone. Uh, the, these things I'm created uh, on purpose. You know, it's not a mistake that God made me a little bit reckless. It's actually how I'm designed and that I cannot stop apologizing for being that way and just start using the way that I am for God's purposes, which are bigger than me. So there's a sense in which kind of losing ourselves is kind of the best form of a healthy self-esteem, which is, I know, paradoxical, but it is. It's a kingdom truth that's been a game changer for me. Yeah. And you you bring up a myth right there, like that we feel that we have to live according to the rules, but most of life is a paradox. You know, we start out one way, we end up another way. Um, we end up living lives that we never intended. And very often it's not the fairy tale that we thought it was, or it's the more than we ever thought we deserved. So I love that you bring that up. Um, I know when we initially connected uh, well over a year ago, and we had a conversation at that time, you, you said, like, I'm generally not geared to do women's things, you know, like you're all over the place, all over the world influencing. And since then, you have launched the Women Speakers Collective um, as a movement and just empowering and bringing women to a space where they are finding their voice and using their voice. So how much of what you've just talked about thinking of yourself um, fairly and with the view of God um, is a challenge more, more for women or not? Oh yeah, definitely. I think uh, I've just been writing a book called Better Together, How Women and Men Can uh, Lead Together. And a lot of the research I've done for that book around mindset, you know, about how we view ourselves and how we think about ourselves, uh, for sure the biggest battle fought by women to get to leadership is how we view ourselves and how we think about ourselves. And this has to do with uh, culture, of course. It has to do with gender expectations and roles and culture. And then it also just has to do with this, like, um, in bread, it would seem this thing that accompanies women, these voices that are in our head, uh, which... I mean, often I think come from the enemy, you know, the, the devil, which is accuser by definition. So the accuser who's like in our head all the time saying like, who do you think you are? And uh, you don't have anything to say and no one's going to listen to you. And then also even our own internal voices. So Ellen Duffield did some research um, that suggested that girls are their strongest, most capable selves at nine years old. Right. And then after that is the struggle of puberty, which does a real wonder on, uh, on girls' self-esteem. And then high school, which does a real wonder on uh, girls' self-esteem. And then workplace and gender and dating and all that stuff. So there's just, there are kind of the decks stacked against us in some ways. And unless we're really intentional about changing the way we see and also changing the way we think about ourselves, 
we are going to be perpetually in a defensive spot. Wow. So some of the myths that need to be challenged are springing from our very souls and we need to stop that and start thinking a different way. Yeah. And I think there's a beautiful move right now. I I can kind of feel it even in dominant culture. So like even, you know, with Brene Brown sort of bringing shame out into the open and vulnerability as a strength and people kind of rediscovering this idea that I could just be honest and authentic and it could be a strength, which of course the scriptures have been inviting us to for a long, long time, but there's kind of this. And then even I think just the Me Too movement of women finding their voices for the first time to say, actually, this isn't okay. And for me to be treated this way isn't okay, but also for me to even feel like this is okay that I'm treated this way is not okay. And so there's this kind of like beautiful, I would say, like unlayering of oppression after oppression after oppression. And and in a sense, oppression's built like an onion and uh, it needs to be unraveled. So I feel like we are in this unraveling season, which is beautiful. And I would imagine the invitation for women everywhere is to... um, is to join the unraveling, like to let God unravel the layers and layers and layers of oppression that have kept you uh, hidden and uh, defensive and stuck. Wow, that's huge. Uh, For you personally, you know, this whole idea of being feminine (laughs) and fierce, which uh, Vanessa, who's one of our co-hosts, uses that quite a bit. Um, you, You are paradoxical just in and of yourself, the way that you are designed for aggressive compassion, which is part of your bio. And so this word aggression is normally not a female word, right? Like we will say assertive, that's as far as we will go. I uh-huh. want to be aggressive, but you actually have that out there for, for the universe to see you're, you're combining ag- aggression and compassion which seem like total opposites. So tell me how those two words or two other kind of seemingly opposing words, feminine and fierce, work in the life of Danielle. Well, you know, my husband wrote that bio, so uh, <laughs> he, might, he might have more to say. <laughs> how do you um, feel about it? Yeah, that's great. I think, uh, you know, I was in the Salvation Army for uh, 22 years, and the Salvation Army is itself a paradoxical, the salvation, the, the saving power of God, and then this militant. So I think in many ways, the DNA of my upbringing, the DNA of who I am is very uh, is very molded by the Salvation Army, this aggressive kind of idea of fighting for something. And um, so that, but also even just myself, like as a kid, I remember reading this book one time, a, a very popular Christian book about how all girls have a, you know, this deep desire to be a princess that's rescued. And I remember going through this, like, oh my gosh, maybe I've like, you know, maybe I've suppressed something from my childhood. And like, I did have some traumatic things. So I'm like, maybe this is like a deficit. So I called my mom and I was like, mom, like, did I have this need? And I just stuffed it down. Cause I like, you know, I'm denying my femininity or something like that. My mom just started laughing. Like, she's just like, Danielle, like you never, ever. I mean, I tried, she said, I tried, like I picked princess dress after princess dress after princess dress. And you just would not wear them. And, uh, you wanted to play Star Wars and, um, you know, not Barbie. And, and so just even just the way that I'm wired was always a little bit, uh, adventurous and sort of tomboyish. I'd much rather play, you know, street hockey, uh, than go to ballet. My sister uh, went to figure skating and I went to hockey and, uh, it's part of the way that I'm wired. And I think that's one of the, the great, 
news for women is that uh, there is not one picture of femininity, just like there's not one picture of masculinity. I think this idea of uh, gender specific roles is nonsense. Uh, Sometimes I have more in common with other men than I do with some women. And sometimes I have more in common with other women than I do with some women. it, It really is about how you're wired and figuring that out. And I think that's explained some of the hunger in our culture right now for things like the Enneagram um, is we're looking for, you know, post gendered square peg, you know, black and white binary sort of like you're this or you're that. And we're looking for much more nuanced uh, explorative ideas of who we really are and how we work. And I think there's something really beautiful about that hunger, you know, Right. And so these words are, these are big words like paradox, nuance, peeling back layers. And I think that's the beauty of the Psalm 139 passage, like we're fearfully and wonderfully made, but somehow by age nine for girls, and I know Ellen's work, I I worked with her and to see that at that point, we've made a decision about our value or our worth. What's the danger of perpetuating um, a functional identity? Well, I think you can get stuck and uh, where you get stuck is you start dismissing who you are. You start like uh, covering up who you really are because you're afraid that you might not fit a dominant sort of narrative. Um, I think then you start actually uh, falling into a trap of comparison. So because you're not like uh, other people who are maybe highly valued or something, then you're less than. Um, I think, and I think that's a trap too. So I, I think you know, there's so many dangers, I think just even internally about how you feel about yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, now I had, I had sort of the blessing in my childhood of moving every two or three years, which lots of people wouldn't consider a blessing, but I think in some ways it was a blessing because I never really fit in anyway, which is a really like pessimistic childhood. I know. And don't worry, I've had counseling, but like, (laughs) You know, I've never really fit anyway. So I wasn't, uh, you know, I wasn't a horrible uh, truth for me that I didn't fit in. Uh, so I stopped aiming to fit in. And, uh, and in some ways, in really negative ways, um, sort of embracing rebellion and kind of like a screw it, I don't fit. So I might as well just uh, do what I want sort of attitude. But I also think there's something in there that's been um, true about me in a lot of different areas is that I haven't really had this deep need to fit a pre-existing kind of group or culture. And I think I've been able, as a result of that, it's been a blessing to me because um, I can see the beauty of every different culture and group, uh, but not have to be defined by it. And I think, you know, I think that's another fancy word called differentiation, where you're able to be part of something, but not needing to be defined by that something. And it can end up being quite liberating. Um, I think in its worst form, it can be terrible because you don't really know who you are. And you have this perpetual state of like not belonging anywhere or fitting anywhere. But I think in its positive form, it can be really liberating because you can be many things to many people. And you can celebrate the best of things without having to be defined by them. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm not surprised you you use that word liberating because that's a key word for you. And we read it in in everything you write and post. And of course, think of Jesus, right? So all of the cultural norms of the day pressing in on him, telling him, you know, if he was going to even be the Messiah, it had to be on earth and he had to look like a king. And he said, I'm not looking like 
anything you want me to be. And here you are in your world, um, the arrows are going out on the offense, like you're defining your culture. And I, I think for women, one of the myths is that we can safely live in this culture and, and allow other voices to tell us who we need to be and conforming is a good thing. What are the dangers of that? Yeah. I mean, I think it's smallness. The danger is smallness. The danger is to agree with a culture that wants you to be smaller than you are and less than you are. I think the danger for women everywhere is to be less so other people feel more comfortable. Um, So I think we need to really shake that off. Um, You know, one of the other blessings of my formative years of ministry even is that I served among people who uh, no one really cared about. And uh, so that really liberated me from caring. You know, I was kind of lumped in with them. So no one really paid much attention to all of us over here because who cares? And uh, in many respects, it it created a real liberating environment for me to learn how to minister and uh, to know what Jesus was like and how Jesus did things. And uh, even the upside down nature, the value of uh, folks who don't belong to dominant cultures taught me so much about the kingdom of God. So I think... um, Anywhere you can do that is to throw yourself into some place where you're not competing with the dominant narrative, but you're exploring sort of the margins or the places where nobody else cares much about. Like that's where you'll find the the deepest learning curve of of kingdom. And of course, it's what Jesus did all the time. He wasn't uh, perpetually trying to keep up with the Joneses. Uh, He was going out of his way to get in the way of people uh, no one else cared about. And in so doing, kind of like inverts the the value systems of the world and is who he he needs to be uh, where it matters the most so i think some of those things are so hard because we're trained you know dominant culture we're trained to kind of keep up it's a upward trajectory and if we're not going upward then we must be doing something wrong uh, but jesus is on a downward trajectory all the time he's constantly looking for places that He's not uh, devaluing himself. He's looking for places where he can take all of his power and authority. Uh, he knows who he is. There's no question about that. Jesus isn't in doubt about his uh, uh, his person or his power. But he's looking for places where he can pour that out, uh, where no one else is looking to pour out power uh, or love or belonging. So it's a great tip from Jesus if you want to explore... <laughs> Uh, who you are without people constantly comparing you and worried about you and, you know, without comparing yourself to other people, go find some folks that nobody cares about. Do it there. It's perfect training. Yeah. We'd be lost without Jesus being on the earth and just having walked and lived it and taught it. I mean, he's, he's like the ultimate for men and women alike. I mean, I just find, I find that encouragement that he, he could radically shape culture by just being true to himself and not needing to be relevant to everybody, but relevant because he was the son of God. And I know Henry Nouwen has said, it's a child as a child of God that you are sent out into the world. So you can receive both the blame and the praise but that does not anchor your identity. It's the fact that you're God's child. And I just want to say that, you know, you're well loved for being that woman who has stepped out to the fringe. And even in these years, maybe doing something you never thought you would be doing, which is actually stepping out and calling women who are seeking to belong into community, even women in the church who always thought they belonged, but just realized, oh, maybe I'd never have belonged here and bringing them into a place where you belong to God. And so I love that because you're modeling such um, such a great story for all of us. And it doesn't make sense that you're doing it. I mean, it's you wouldn't be that woman like pick me, pick me, but God has chosen you. Um, 
we just, you know, we, we have this word leadership in front of us and that's another kind of uh, mystical word for women to kind of grapple with. Like, I'm not a leader. I am a leader. Um, what does it mean for you to be a woman of influence? You know, I talk um, at another leadership conference about um, the empowerment principle being the measure of leadership. So leadership is using your power uh, to benefit others. I think that's probably as simple as it gets and no matter what power you do have, so that that does require you identifying your power. So this is, uh, you know, sort of busting the holes in the myth that you don't have any. That's one of the great discoveries for women everywhere, I think, is to understand that indeed they do have uh, power. And then once you identify your power, it's how you use it. And if you use your power to the benefit, for the benefit of others, uh, that's leadership extraordinaire. That's Jesus-style leadership. That's you know using your influence, your power, your voice uh, for the benefit of other people is what leadership is. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great definition. So what's the most important thing that needs to change um, if we want to move women beyond the myths and mobilize them to influence? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I think this is a varied question as, as there are women uh, listening. So I think um, getting really intentional about discovering who you are, how you're made, and where the opportunities are to use what you have for the benefit of other people might just be a good, good uh, space. It, it's not, I think we're always looking for it to be super significant. Like it's got to be really powerful and really big. And actually, you know, I've really been contemplating recently the mustard seed words of Jesus, you know, like if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say this mountain move and it would move. And I think we've always thought that what, what Jesus must have meant was the quality of our faith. Uh, so we keep thinking like when we can't do big things, we keep thinking like, oh, if only I believed better, like I must be my faith. I must have a faith problem. But I actually think Jesus might actually just be using the scale of size that, I mean, I'm just contemplating this, so I might be wrong, but I think that mountains move like these big things. If you think about stuff like human trafficking, for example, uh, helping a vulnerable girl, like mentoring a young girl who is vulnerable for exploitation is like a mustard seed size answer to the mountain of what is human trafficking. And I think that if everybody had faith the size of a mustard seed, we could say to the mountain of human trafficking, move and it would move. And I think the same is true of every single uh, you know, homelessness is an issue, is a mountain to, to, to worry about, but actually helping people with, um, with housing or with rooms in your house or whatever that are in danger of losing their homes or, or, or getting in, right? right the tiny little thing that's right in front of you to do uh, can actually end up moving the mountain uh, of the issue. So I think it's like a principle of scale. So I always say like, Whatever's in front of you to do, once you discover, A, you have some power, you have influence, you have a voice, you have resources, you have capacity, you have personality strengths, uh, and you have passions inside of you. And once you start using those for the benefit of others, um, you will be shifting things, whether it feels like it or not. It might just feel like volunteering on a Friday night and you, it's the last thing in the world you have time to do, but you're shifting something and uh, it'll matter in the world. Yeah. You know, it's so interesting that, you know, we asked that question, what if I fail? But the, the, uh, that 
the other end to that question is what if I fly? Like, what if I actually can shift? What if I actually can influence? What if I actually, by my one yes, I actually set something in, in motion that has never been set in motion before? And maybe that's our fear, is that we actually do have that kind of power. Yeah, we're afraid of our own strength. And also, I think we are afraid of failing, um, which is a shame because, uh, again, you know, Jesus really helps us here that in our failures is where most of our dependency and uh, our re um, understanding and application of grace uh, and our, you know, being loved by God, not because of what we do, but because of who we are. All of those things are most potent when we fail. Um, So for me, even failure has been this sweet um, gift that now, you know, it makes it possible to fail more. I think, I, I think it's now in that talks about grace being like the spongy playground, uh, ground, you know, and your kids can play a little more fiercely because they know if they fall, it's not cement they're going to land on. It's the sponge. And, uh, I feel like that's, that, that's a great image for trying, you know, that it's not perfection God's aiming for it's play. Like give it a shot, play around with your gifts, use them for someone else, like do something cool, like pay, play pirates on the playground, whatever. Yeah. And if you fall, you might fall. It's absolutely, it's probable actually that you're going to fall if you give it a shot, but you're going to fall on this spongy thing called grace and you're going to experience the enfolding arms of Jesus and the, the, the words of God saying like, Hey, good try. I saw that. That was awesome. You did like half a somersault. It was amazing. Like, you know, just like we would with our kids. Yeah. 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 And you're mother to three boys. And so you're raising the next generation of, of (laughs) those better together guys, right. That we need to be with. So, um, you've kind of answered part of this question, but the last, last request is really for all the women listening out there, Danielle, um, if you were waving a permission slip to hand over to them and say, I give you permission to do what would it be? Yeah, I, I give you permission to be yourself. I give you permission to hear affirmation from God saying you were not only made well, you were made very, very well. Uh, I give you permission to accept uh, who you are and what you're called to do. I give you permission to preach and to speak and to paint and to dream and to help and to serve uh, and to lead. I give you permission to lead. Uh, to strategize, to dream for the future, to come up with bold and crazy things and also simple, small things. I give you permission to love and to be loved. Uh, I give you permission to be who you are in all the glorious splendor that God has made you. And, uh, and I give you permission to stop apologizing for that. That'd be awesome. <laughs> yeah. That's brilliant. There's a manifesto in there or another book. The Permission Book by Danielle Strickland. Well, I just want to thank you for your time. I know you are all over the place, but I know wherever you are, you're fully present. I know that about you. I feel it um, right now. And I just want to thank you for being such a champion for those that are seeking to belong, for those that have a desire for greater influence, not for their own good, but for the glory of, of God. And I just want to thank you for being so great at being you. <laughs> There's nobody like you. There's a lot of people that want to be like you, but you, I just love the fact that you're back on Canadian soil, but also recognizing that this is a global thing happening with women to rise in their purpose and influence all over the world. And um, I thank you for bringing your voice to that. And I thank you that you've given your time and you're encouraging anyone who's listening. So bless you. And thank, thank you. I received so, that. Okay. All right. 
So go out and be you the rest of today and we'll try and do the same. Okay. (laughs) All right. Thanks, Danielle. Bye-bye. Bye. Wow, that was an amazing conversation. And I should have warned you to grab a pen and paper while you were listening to jot some of those nuggets down from Danielle. I know I came away with a couple things myself. The first is that we're supposed to come into agreement with God about who we are. And so that's such a safe place to have our identity forged, isn't it? And then Danielle's uh, definition of what leadership is, leadership is using your power to benefit others. And that takes all the fear away, doesn't it? If you're just leading by serving others, we can all do that. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks so much for sharing this with someone that you think might be encouraged um, and is thinking about influence. And so we hope that you're going to be joining us on this journey and we will see you on the next episode. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Her Influence podcast. We'd love you to share this episode to encourage a friend and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. For more on the Gather Women movement, visit gatherwomen.com. For free resources, circles, and events in your area, better yet, grab your girlfriends and register to join us live at the Gather Rise Conference, October 25th and 26th in Oakville, so we can meet you. A special thanks to our sponsor, Mercy Canada, restoring hope, transforming lives. And now, rise in purpose and influence your world with real voices, bold words, and whole hearts. 